0: Because we lead not only by the example of our power, but by the power of our example. That is the history of the journey of America.
1: It's the Irishman in America with me, Jarlath Regan, over here in Dublin. And Marion McKeown. Marion McKeown is in Dublin. Back from the holidays, Marion. Recharged, re-energised. Like a young Donald Trump bouncing off the plane in <laughs> Dunebag. <Doom> <laughs> How are you feeling?
0: Well, I hope I am not feel like Donald Trump bouncing off the plane <laughs> and do back, but a terrific I it's amazing the difference a week off makes with no phone and no Wi-Fi. I cannot recommend it enough mm-hmm. to everyone out there to just shut the whole thing down and hang out with your friends and your, you know, your gang and just really have fun. It has so to be enforced,
1: doesn't it? Because a friend of mine yeah. was like, you got to do Monday or you got to do, he said, do Sunday, no internet, no phone. And I did it a couple of times, but it had, I nearly needed to put the phone in a safe to get it away from you. you had no coverage, no wi-fi nothing so you had no option
0: i had a giant open safe in the spots in tuscany we were in because we had no i had no access and then you don't you can't even think about it. it's like well there's no phone there's no Wi-Fi my phone is an American phone which doesn't recognise Italian phone companies and they wouldn't speak to each other and so I spoke to nobody either so it was great
1: (laughs) Well you didn't miss out on much does feel like it's been a slow enough news week the last while because obviously Marion wasn't here last week she missed out on my dramatic marathon week in London Uh, but thank you Marion, for your donation to Menfee's my chosen charity Delighted to do Uh, it
0: and congratulations to you and John Charlotte just told me, and this I am a bit impressed with, that not only did he run the whole thing effortlessly sailing past like Hussein <laughs> Bolt, but he also ran the next day because he didn't feel a thing.
1: I, so yeah, I am very impressed with I that. I said I could run the next day, but I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, yeah, I misquoted you. <laughs> but that, was the, that is, like honestly, that is yeah. one of the proudest achievements of it, was not Terrific. ruining myself. Some people never run again. I thought that we'd seen the end of the press correspondence dinner, I thought that that was a never oh. again after the Trump administration had kind of done away with the thing. But here we are, Joe Biden on his hind legs this week. We're going to review the best jokes from that speech in the second half of the show over on Patreon. After
0: all, I believe in the First Amendment. Not just because my good friend Jimmy Madison wrote it. <laughs> This dinner sums up my first two years in office. I'll talk for 10 minutes, take zero questions, and cheerfully walk away. <laughs>
1: But there's much more pressing things to get to. Marion Donald Trump arrived in Ireland this week after previously complaining that Joe Biden shouldn't be wasting his time in. I don't know, does he group it in the shithole countries group? Maybe not, because he has hard to tell. <laughs> he was asked by reporters if he would prefer to see the corporation tax being paid by US companies in Ireland instead being paid to the US. He said, I'm not going to answer that question. A lot of people would say, yes, but Ireland has done a good job. You've lured a lot of companies in. it's yes, such a strange indeed. choice of words. Lured. Well, all his
0: words are strange choice of words, I'm <laughs> beginning to think. But yet, the luring and the, but he always does this thing, the qualifier, where he says, well, I'm not going to talk about that, but some people would say yes, how dare you? You know, <laughs> but I'm not saying, I mean, that's that's classic Trump speak for, basically. George W. Bush used to do that as well. He'd say, he would all say there are some who say yeah, some the folks. sky is pink. There are some folks, and I'm inclined to agree with <laughs> it's like either say it or say don't. Say it or don't, know? yeah.
1: This is such a damp squib of a visit in Indeed. many ways. And we were wondering last night, did he expect the red carpet? Was he trying to show Joe Biden that I have much deeper roots in Ireland than you with my hotels? Was the purpose of this visit, really?
0: The purpose of this visit, in my view, was to... He was basically a fugitive in, mm. in down there. He was avoiding a court case in New York a potentially embarrassing, to put it mildly, court case, a civil rape trial, let's call it what it is, that he was avoiding that. And that's my view as to why he was in Scotland and in Ireland, why he chose this particular week to go, hoping he would get other coverage that... Distract. people would be writing, yeah, distract and deflect classic Trump strategies. And also, if he was in America, in the jurisdiction, and didn't bother to show up for the trial, maybe he thinks it seems less disrespectful and contemptuous of Eugene Carroll, of the trial judge, Lewis Kaplan, and indeed of the jury, the fact that he could say, oh, I was in another country tending to my businesses. I couldn't mm. be there. So- I mean, he came up... He came up last week as for this lame excuse of, oh, I won't turn up because I'll just be too much of a distraction to New Yorkers. And when I turn up, people just rush out to see me. And he sort of portrayed it as as a consideration of New York and the public transport systems and the police that it was better if he didn't go. He's afraid to face her. He's afraid to be examined. He's afraid to be questioned. And that's the only reasonable conclusion you can come to that you don't have to be there. Obviously, for a civil trial, there's no legal requirement that he be present. His lawyer is certainly being tuggish enough for two people. But, you know, it, it's. It, you have to ask yourself, and this is up to the jury, it's not up to me. But if you were innocent of those charges, would you not want to turn up and say, I did not do
1: this? Mm-hmm. Joe Takapina is on the case, though, uh, Marion, yeah. The uh, Trump defence lawyer, who we assumed wouldn't last a fortnight, is there and saying that he will not be calling any witnesses. Yeah. You've obviously been following this closely. Yes. Can you catch everybody up on where we're at and what's happened?
0: Right. So where we're at, and a brief recap, Eugene Carroll was a pretty well-known writer and t- TV personality and also she was an advice columnist who had a syndicated column with Elle magazine. And, you know, basically these were two New York Middle aged people, Donald Trump and Eugene Carroll, when they met each other. in She said sometime in either late 1995 or early 1996, it seems from her friend's testimony, who spoke on her behalf, yes, Lisa Birnbaum, who testified on her behalf, that it would have been probably early. 1996. She says she was coming in, she was leaving Bird Goodman's on an evening. It's a Fifth Avenue store, very fancy, very near to Tiffany's and Trump Tower. Mm-hmm. She said she was leaving and Trump was coming in and the opening line did, and I'm writing right, about this week in the Sunday Business Post, the, their opening line sounded like the start of a Nora Ephron rom-com from the 90s. He goes, hey, you're the advice lady. She goes, hey, you're the real estate tycoon, you know. And so it was that banter of two people who move in the same circles, who recognized each other, who had met before because we saw photographs of them chatting at a party before, at some point with both of their partners at the time. And then he said to her, I'm going to buy, he was buying a gift for a woman and he's asked her to help him. Now, the thing is, I remember this in New York a couple of times. Crazy things happen to you in New York, if you know, just by accident, and you think this is a great story. You know it's going to be, yeah. and you kind of go along with. It and you think, oh, this is kind of fun. Mm. I mean, like, and I could tell you bizarre stories of things where you just, go, you just say, let's see where this goes. You know, yeah. I mean, you're, and, you're um,
1: a news person. You're interested yeah, in stories yeah. and pieces that, and, yeah. and you think that's why she went along with this. Yeah. yeah, and
0: also because it would probably be a bit of a laugh to tell her friends about later. Mm. And we like, who hasn't thought of it? Something something thought, geez, so. So I was going to get a kick out of hearing about this. So she went back into the shop with him and he decided he was going to, you know, they were going to pick out lingerie for this woman he wanted to buy a gift for. And then there was a banter about who was going to try it on. And she was saying, you try it on. And he's saying, no, you try it on, etc. And then and this tracks very closely with what one of the witnesses, Jessica Leeds, said during the trial as well. It was all like flirty and fun and lighthearted, and as I said, two two contemporaries around the same age, both New Yorkers, both successful. And then they got to a dressing room and he turned on her. And it sounds like he pushed his way in. And then, like she described graphically what happened. And it's horrific. You know, it really is. And that's what she's claiming. It is an allegation. We have to stress that this is a legal process. We're not going to second guess it here. But her her account of it is pretty harrowing. Mm. And she said she never had a relationship after that. That she's never had a romantic or a sexual relationship with any man in the past almost 30 years now because she was so traumatised by what happened, but she also was on the stand pretty, she didn't want to see herself as a victim. And I think that's a very common thing for women, that you're thinking, he's not going to destroy my life. I'm not going to be a victim. I'm going to get on with my life. My life isn't going to revolve around this instance. So she, to all intents and purposes, really did seem to put it behind her or do her best in as much as you could, obviously, put that behind you. She only told two friends, one of them who testified, said that she Said to her, look, you've been raped. I'll come to the, po- I'll go to the police with you. Let's go to the police. And she said, and again, understandably, she felt foolish. And she said, why did I, you know, why did I do this? Why? How's this going to look? I'm not like I'm a fifty-one-year-old woman or whatever she was. I'm going to look foolish. This is embarrassing. And she was blaming herself. And I think that that's. Unfortunately for a lot of women, that's the well, I maybe I shouldn't have done this. Maybe mm. didn't want to go to the police, didn't want the publicity. She then told another friend, and that friend said to her, Don't go to the police, he'll destroy you. He'll destroy you. This guy is really famous, he's got loads of money, he'll destroy you, he'll use his wealth and power to destroy you. And the depressing thing, and again, this time I'm writing this week, is that after almost thirty years later, post me too, when we all thought things were getting you know, better in some way that women were at least being believed. Trump is still... He is destroying her, or he's doing his level best. He's doing Mm -hmm. exactly what the second friend predicted. He has trolled her online. She's been threatened by his friends, by his son, Eric Trump. How dare he even? And she's had all of this, as she described, a tsunami of just vitriol and hatred levied against her by all these Trump supporters, these MAGA bros, and, and who have really come down on her, and Trump has ridiculed her. He's basically said she's not... This is the line that he has used for her and the other witness who testified about him attacking her on an airplane. She had been upgraded to first class. We'd heard this story before. She was put sitting beside Trump. She was in her 20s at the time. And he was, you know, it was all chat first. And then apparently um, she claims that he literally just started grabbing her and molesting her and groping her. And she eventually managed to jump up and run back down to economy. And but again, she didn't tell anyone because clearly she was embarrassed. This was Donald Trump. Was anyone going to believe her, etc.? So, e. Jean Carroll, I've seen her testimony. I think it's plausible now if it were a rape trial, it would be a very difficult trial because there were no witnesses, there is no forensic evidence, there were no video cameras, she didn't report it. So you can see how it would be problematic with a civil trial, its balance of probability, and you are allowed to introduce evidence of similar acts by a person to Hmm. show that this is something he may have done before to establish a pattern. Now, to me, the most damning pattern, which Lewis J. Kaplan, the trial judge, allowed in, was Trump's tape, the Access Hollywood tape, where he said, when you're a star you can do anything you want women will let you, you can grab them by the pussy they won't, they let you do anything mm-hmm. that to me is, and that he believed, I'm Donald Trump, I have the right I am a New York playboy billionaire, I have the right to do anything I want, you know, when it comes to women, I, that he basically, you know and even his defense and it's not a defense, it's appalling it's just a slur, they're not my type, they're basically not attractive enough for me to rape, is what he's saying. Mm. If I was going to rape somebody, I'd rape somebody better looking. And this is, is you know one of the many chilling, appalling things about this. And as I say, his lawyer Joe Tacopino, who really looks like he should be wielding a baseball bat and not a deposition, because he's a thug.' And he resorted to the old, you know, it, it could have been a trial from the 17th or 18th century. Why didn't you scream? Why didn't you? And she said she fought him off. Mm-hmm. She fought him off. She pushed him, she need him, she hit him with her handbag and she ran out of the dressing room. And so she wasn't screaming because she was fighting him off. And, and this he's thing a up, giant. Uh, and he's a big guy. Yeah. This is a I, big I think man. it's interesting
1: that you say that the Access Hollywood tape where he's boasting saying, and d- to directly quote it, I'm automatically attracted to beautiful women, Trump said. I just start kissing them. It's like a magnet. Just kiss. I don't even wait. And then yeah. when you're a star, they let you do it you can do anything interesting that you think that that's more damning than say the account of this woman i want to get her name right natasha Stoynoff and People jessica
0: leads as well Uh, yeah
1: like why why is their testimony because in both of those instances they're describing what he said he does is it that it's coming out of his mouth an admission that he does this
0: Yeah, that's exactly what it is, because at the end of the day, they are, I mean, I think they're very credible witnesses. And I I think particularly Jessica Leeds, when she describes what happened on the plane, just a shock. She's put in, she's upgraded to first class. She's put sitting beside this guy that everyone knows, Donald Trump, and he's bantering away. And then he just lunges at her. And she she said it was just literally, you know, that it took her a moment to process what was happening. And then as the assault became more shocking, she ran back down the plane. But again, she obviously felt just like she just wanted to get away from him. Now, I think that with Trump, he made that statement, let's not forget, about 10 years after this alleged rape. Mm. Okay. Now, and clearly he had, if these other women are to be believed as well, and let's not forget the other 23 women at least who have claimed Donald Trump forced his sexual attentions on them in one way or another whether it was overt harassment whether it was groping whether it was kissing whether it was assault whether it was rape and all those things are degrees of assault but i think for it to come out of his mouth for him to say yeah you know they let you do it you can do anything grab them by the pussy etc etc i mean this is him pretty well describing what he did Mm. so And the judge um, made a very interesting point when he admitted that. He said, basically, this is kind of, you know, it's out of his mouth and he's saying pretty well what this woman is accusing him of doing. And so I'm going to admit it.
1: Dr. Leslie Leivovitz said that Carol exhibits aspects of post-traumatic stress disorder and took the stand and described in detail what she observed in her examinations how does this does this carry any water or is there still a certain amount of you can find a therapist to say whatever is that a a skeptical assumption that juries can make
0: i think that on its own it wouldn't be i think it's more the cumulative you know effect that you have i think that Together, when you have the testimony of her friends, the testimony of other women who Trump also uh, who claim that Trump also sexually assaulted them, and you have her, I would say that on its own that might be the least powerful. Mm. But I think that really it would probably be quite easy. Eugene Carroll's friend who testified, the journalist Lisa Birnbach, she said that she had spent a couple of days with Trump. She had recently spent time with Trump beforehand. She was writing a profile for the New Yorker about his plans to transform Mar-a-Lago back in, and the piece ran in February 1996. So, you know, it's possible that Eugene Carroll could have. But she was being honest, I think, and saying, I don't remember. I don't remember, but I I don't remember exactly the date. Because at the time, remember, she just wanted to forget it. She said to her friend, don't tell anyone about this. I don't want to ever talk about it again. We're never going to talk about it again. So I think that she was possibly just being genuinely honest and saying it could have been late 1995, it could have been early 1996, that she just didn't remember. And I think that was what the psychologist kind of said. Yes, people do have fractured recollections of traumatic incidents. They remember some parts very, very vividly. They remember other parts not at all. It's a blur. And I think you may remember when Christine Blasey Ford testified about Brett Kavanaugh. She was 15 or 16 at the time when she claimed that he assaulted her. She had crystal clear recollections of some parts and of other parts more blurred recollections and again at the time it was said that this was completely normal for somebody who went through a very traumatic experience
1: wow There's no blurred recollection when it comes to what Tucker Carlson has been up to and the reason why he lost his job. A racist text message allegedly sent by the former Fox News host set off alarm bells. Marion, can you explain exactly what was in the text and how it took this text to shunt him out off the ship? Like, surely they knew the man better than anyone.
0: Yeah, Jarlett, I'm a little sceptical that it was this was the text, you know, to be quite that this was it. It could have been the straw that broke the camel's back, but also Tucker Carl I mean it's shocking, but Tucker Carlson has done and said things that are let's start with his Whitewash of the uh, January sixth riots, where oh, he yeah, tries to say people, tourists going politely, <laughs> going and about their business, etc., etc. Et <laughs> so in this text, to me, the most okay, he writes a text, and it's it's about fifteen or sixteen sentences about how he watched three white men beat up. And what he described as an Antifa kid. Now, I think we can assume from the way he describes the instance that this kid was a black kid. This wasn't a white kid. okay? Mm. and he says that they were pounding on him, beating the shit out of him. And he found it disturbing because it's not how white men fight. Now, that to me, it goes on and on about and says, Jumping a guy like that is dishonourable, obviously. It's not how white men fight. And then he says he found himself rooting for the mob against the man, hoping they'd hit him harder, kill him. I really want them to hurt the kid. I could taste it, he says. And then he goes on to say, but then I realised, you know, that this might, and I'm paraphrasing now, that this might make me as bad as this kid. Now, he didn't know who this kid was. This kid could have been completely was a protester. He had done nothing to incur the wrath of these men other than have a different political view clearly. He hadn't attacked them, he hadn't insulted them, he hadn't done anything to warrant this attack. This was as as Tucker Carlson said, three guys who just kicked the hell out of this kid because of who he was, mm-hmm. he was an, uh, what Carlson describes as an antifa protester, probably a Black Lives Matter protester, because Carlson has always run those two together and always used antifa as a slur, as you know that like e- the saying almost even if he was antifa, like as those were some awful thing antifa was an anti-fascist protest group it's trump and carlson and their ilk who have bundled them in as a bunch of thugs and criminals etc etc and so this whole thing and then him saying this might not make me any better than him as i said he knows nothing about this kid
1: you know, uh, ha- and, uh, ha- and also that to... the super- the racial superiority of well this is Rudolph we, a- we killing, assume isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that i the, am better the, than him
0: yeah. And, and of course, that this is not how white men fight. Well, Tucker Carlson, if he knew his American history, would know exactly how white men fight against black people. Hmm. The Clutox Klan the lynch mobs, the Tulsa massacre, all of these things. This is how white men fight, actually, Tucker Carlson, when it comes to attacking uh, black people and when it comes to believing that they have the right. As I said, this Kipling notion that it's the white man's burden to crush black people, but To do it in a decent way, basically. And that's exactly what he's saying here. Yes, it's up to us to keep these people in their place. But, you know, we don't want to be seen to be kicking the crap out of them in public. Three men on a kid. And that's his problem. It's not that they're doing it. It's kind of the way that they're doing it. What happens
1: Um, next to Tucker Carlson? Like, where does he go from here? Like, I'd imagine that there's quite a few places that are like, we've got a great home for you.
0: Now, as far as I know, and I don't because this was reported that he is... Entertaining an offer from Newsmax, where he, Newsmax, which is basically to the right of Fox, there's Newsmax and there's one OAN, one American Nation, I think it is, or one, one American newswork, but network. They and they're both very far right. There's also the Sinclair Group, which is a, a which has bought up a lot of local radio stations, a lot of local media outlets, and it's very far right as well. There are plenty of homes. He I was he said or he indicated. He was considering an offer from Newsmax of 25 million a year, not quite his Fox salary, but not too shabby either when you think about it. And that is where he would go next. And he's also been doing these two minute, you know, rants on Twitter and whatever, where he's talking about, oh, well, while, I, the, while the truth is still out there, there's still hope and I'll still find a place for my voice, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, as though he's some martyr, you know, mm. I, 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 Uh, that that is being silenced because he speaks truth and people don't want to hear it. So unfortunately Tucker Carlson will always find a home and he'll always find an audience because America is very, there are a lot of people out there who hang on Tucker Carlson's every word which is he was golden he was Fox's Golden Goose. Don't forget his show was the highest watched show. now it's it had a ma- ratings of about three million at its peak, which you might think is not that much, but actually is a worrying number of people who, as I say, who watch him regularly. But you do wonder about the Fox demographic, like, is this? I don't think there there is a popular democratic sort of trope that, ah, they're all over 70 in their rocking chairs, shouting at the TV. And undeniably, a lot of them are. But there are a lot of people who were there on January 6th, young, angry men, the Proud Boys, the three percenters, the Oath Keepers, all of those, these are Tucker Carlton's demographic as well. They're not all old and feeble and angry and set in their ways. They're young and they have a propensity towards violence. And, and I saw it, as I said, at the NRA where you had elected politicians saying, you know, we have the biggest standing army in america we have three billion armed people at our disposal we hope it doesn't come to that and so this is also tucker carlson's audience so i wouldn't dismiss him hmm. you know i i think that that tucker carlson and his look do they are rabble-rousers of the worst kind and he will continue to do that
1: i think i also think he saw it coming i think he knew he was on the way out and there was a turn in him and maybe he knew these texts were going to come out possibly. And yeah. certainly the these people just looked like calm tourists going about their business. It just seemed just it was so off the reservation. Yeah. Now it yeah. kind of makes sense. What doesn't make sense, though, is whether there was or wasn't an assassination attempt against Vladimir Putin this week. Russia claims that Ukraine launched yeah. an attempt to kill the Russian president. With the drone strike on the Kremlin overnight on Wednesday, it's an extraordinary allegation, isn't it? And one that Kiev is really quick to deny.
0: False flag. I'm sorry. You know what? I I find it absolutely ludicrous. Now I don't have any more knowledge. I have to say than anybody else, but just my assessment of this from in terms of their capabilities of, in terms of how Zelensky has said from the get go, and he is has proven to be a smart and strategic man. That all they want to do is push Russia out of Ukraine. That this is a war that Russia boisted upon them and they all they want to do is get their territory back and there is it makes no sense i suspect and i hope i'm wrong that russia is planning a massive onslaught of some kind and that they will use this as justification right, right. And, and and that's really what I believe. I see. And Zelensky is in The Hague today at with the International Criminal Court for meetings and he is keeping up a profile and he is he's proven to be such a strategically smart leader as well as a very courageous leader and a very savvy leader. Uh, and I, I really think, look, Russia, like we've had all these reports from Belmut of all the Russian casualties, you know, that really the people who are being left to fight are these prisoners who have been taken out of prison, this Wagner group, and that it's not getting any better. Now, It's not, uh, Ukraine, let's not, you know, there's a a tendency, I think, and you understand that morale is critical in Ukraine, but there's a tendency to, I think, make light of the fact that Ukraine is also, I'm pretty sure, taking pretty heavy casualties. But Russia really has been suffering in, in the past couple of months. And I think that what they're doing isn't working. And Russia tends to do, what Putin tends to do is, when what he's doing isn't working, he does more of it. He just ups the numbers. Right. you know, So you send in more troops and more troops. But strategically, it may be now that they're thinking, well, this clearly isn't working and we're going to have to try something else. And I think that this is a false flag to allow them to justify and just a fig leaf and the flimsiest of fig leaves and to justify whatever they plan and whatever is coming next. And as I say, I hope I'm wrong, but I think that this doesn't well for Zelensky and for Ukraine. But they have shown enormous courage and tenacity and strategic smarts. And I don't know if it's going to be enough. I don't think this war is going to end anytime soon. And it depends. These are wars of attrition. And I think it depends on who can show the most um, Grit at the end of the day, but also it's a numbers game, and Russia has a lot more Mm. disposable bodies to be crude about it. But, you know, again, Jarlathan, I know we've said this before, even if, God forbid, Russia did win in the end, it's never going to be over. Ukraine is never going to, you know, accept Russia. There will be a civil war for decades if it's the ukrainians will never accept russian will never accept putin as their leader no. and and it's it's such a grim situation and mm. i think it worries me that it is fading from the interest it's fading from the news it's become background noise now another ongoing brutal war and really the more time that passes the more support Zelensky needs not less you know mm. so really, well it does
1: tie in with our next story Marion. Uh, title 42 coming to an end which yeah. was a piece of pandemic right. legislation, a federal law that using to allow them to reject asylum seekers without hearings. Yeah. It's set to it was end. A,
0: it was a misuse, by the way. That legislation yeah. was never, it was an abuse of that legislation.
1: It's set to end on May 11th. And what you have yeah. is tens of thousands of migrants accumulating on the border waiting for May 11th. Now, one of the reasons Kamala Harris was entrusted with sorting this out and helping was, or one of the arguments that Biden made was that we would help, that they would help the countries with the problems that were producing the migrants, rather than focus on this border situation. Now, first of all, solving these problems, going into countries to solve problems where the countries themselves have had difficulty solving the problems, solving other countries problems Yeah. is so the Ukraine issue as well, going in and trying to help or solve things that are rumbling on for years, extremely difficult thing. Definitely not enough time to talk about it in the first half of our conversation here on the free platforms. But if you come over to patreon.com forward slash Irishmanabroad, you can enjoy double size episodes with Marion, where we get to go a little deeper into the weeds on this and other stories including the Hollywood Writers Strike uh, the review of Joe Biden's latest stand-up show at the Correspondence Dinner and of course the new inductees to the uh, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame Marion yes. has thoughts on those as well we'll also hear the unusual connection that Marion has to Bruce Springsteen
0: <laughs> it is
1: of course Boss Weekend in Dublin so we'll hear all about exactly that is. over on patreon.com forward slash Abroad. ready you have the cameras rolling. This is America.
0: A lot of people who would probably consider themselves liberal have done very well financially under the Donald Trump four years. You
1: encourage,